This is Olivia. And you are listening to Bikini Drive-In on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Our mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens. We have backgrounds in screen and media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Our combined knowledge and experience will hopefully provide you with access points to feminist theory, art history, and film critique while using horror and science fiction genres as a site of discourse. Since we will will be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, there's a content warning and uh, listener discretion is advised. There are also many spoilers ahead, so look out. This week, we will be discussing Ty West's 2009 film, House of the Devil. Desperate to make some money so she can move into a new apartment, college student Samantha Hughes takes a mysterious babysitting job. When she arrives at the house, Mr. Ullman mentions a full lunar eclipse and explains that there is no child, but that Samantha will be watching his wife's mother instead. After exploring the sinister-seeming house, Samantha soon comes to realize that her employers are hiding a horrifying secret and have plans to use her dead or alive. (laughs) Jill, what's your history with this movie? Uh, it's not very exciting. I first saw it a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was recommended to me. It yeah. was on Netflix at the time. Yeah. And I watched it. And I just enjoyed it. It was, yeah. at the time, it was one of the, it was a, like a, a modern contemporary horror film mm-hmm. that I, that I thoroughly enjoyed. And mm-hmm. that hadn't happened for a while. So, yeah. What about you? Um, yeah. Oh, kind of a boring story. But I watched <laughs> this movie a few years ago while working at Movie Village, RIP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it. Uh, it's a th- slow, thoughtful, dread piece. And I probably mm-hmm. recommended it. To every person that came in there, yeah, I think it's so great. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, it's a, they do a good job of building suspense and intention, and yeah, it's yeah. well filmed. Mm-hmm. So the opening text 
in the film describes the amount of people who believe in satanic cults. This prologue sets the tone of the film and positions it within the specific cultural time of the 1980s satanic panic. Satanic panic is a cultural phenomenon characterized by widespread fear about the presence of satanic ritual abuse in one's community, state, or country. The recent phenomenon of satanic panic originated during the 1970s and gained traction during the 1980s and 1990s when a widespread belief took hold within American evangelical Christianity that a vast underground network of Satanists is in control of secular society. Claims of devil worship proliferated during the early 1980s, including backward masking of satanic messages in rock music, Dungeons and Dragons, and heavy metal music as occult recruiting tools, disappearing pets, and poison candy at Halloween as part of a larger conspiracy, and most significantly, underground movements of Satanists engaged in human sacrifice, grooming of children for ritual child abuse, and other crimes such as sexual assaults to children. Uh, There are a few elements of the film that that hint at the Ullman's connection to the occult, The first is Mrs. Ullman's comment about being from the desert and loving the heat. I read this, this might be a little conspiracy corner, but I read this as a reference to Death Valley and the Manson family, a desert commune and cult formed in California in the late 1960s. Led by Charles Manson, the group consisted of approximately 100 of his death hippies who lived in an an unconventional lifestyle (laughs) and habitual use of drugs. Uh, Most of the group members were young women from middle-class backgrounds, many of whom were radicalized by Manson's teachings and drawn by hippie culture and communal living. Um, Another creepy detail is the bathtub full of hair that Samantha finds. Um, According to (laughs) occultworld.com, hair and nails possess magical attributes that contain the essence of a person and thus are important ingredients in many magic spells. Hair is associated with strength and virility and with psychic protection. Abundant hair was considered an asset by early monarchs, the ancient Egyptians believe that a potion made of hair, nail clipping, nail clippings, and human blood would give a person absolute power over another. In folklore, a witch's magical power is bound in her hair. By shaking her hair, the power of a spell is doubled, and the shearing off of another's hair is considered an act of degradation, humiliation, and punishment. Um, and these moments kind of they don't really go, ex- they they go un- unexplained in the film, but yeah. I just find them like little creepy, creepy hints. That's interesting. Also, mm-hmm. because yeah, that bathroom scene it's Mm -hmm. it's very chilling Mm -hmm. but but yes then it gets left yeah arguably unexplained that's really fascinating yeah it's creepy visual um in thinking of satanic panic i find it really interesting to look at the parallels uh in the rise of satanic panic with developments in civil rights and women's rights Mm -hmm. so yeah like as both parents were entering the workplace young children were entering daycares uh, and this difference in how nuclear families were functioning caused so much fear and doubt and distrust and yeah, there'd be rumors starting to bubble about satanic rituals being practiced in these new situations where children were being raised and cared for away from family home. And yeah, to look at it in regards to like historical landscape, time, <laughs> the timeline of it all, <laughs> the panic, yeah, following the like Manson occultiness in the 60s. Mm-hmm. I like your read of it. Mm-hmm. I know it's a little bit like. It's just like one line, but. But I it like is it. like, why do you got to like wear it. those furs? Yeah, where are, are you, you from? so cold? Where yeah. are you from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a creepy woman. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the serial killer era of the 70s with the likes of <coughs> Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Hillside Stranglers, David Berkowitz, Zodiac Killer. Um, yeah, and then just, I don't know, the Reagan era is, era is so messed up. Like, mm-hmm. in its its push of fear-mongering through stranger danger and mm-hmm. the war on drugs and urbanization, there's these, like, there's the AIDS epidemic and the kidnapping victims and the Tylenol murders and... And just how how that era tied it all into the nuclear family being yeah, the white nuclear family yeah being yeah risk, being yeah. at risk and then and then that just fed into all this uh, religious fundamentalism being like having a major moment and yeah can't help but think of this kind of in relation to rape narratives and 
where most perpetrators are, yeah are familiar um they're not creepy lurkers mm-hmm. in the bushes yeah and totally. having these is like scapegoats to to the actual issues yeah um within our lives and within the home i think within that context you can read this film as like a panic movie about satanic cults because there is that stranger danger element and like yeah, don't go out at night, oh, girls. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like it's emblematic of a lot of those fears. Yeah, totally. Um, that satanic panic deals with. style of the film is something that makes it uh, really enjoyable to watch as well. It was made to really feel like it was uh, yeah, made in that era, so mm-hmm. it's filmed in 16mm. Um, there are many moments of kind of beautiful grainy grainy shots and there's also lots of that 70s style zoom in uh, rather than using a dolly mm-hmm. um, as well as these very long like wide angle um, visuals of her of her in the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, something that also the the setting and the environment um, brings up is, is about thinking about women in the private and public sphere. So Samantha is always being watched. She's always in this public space. She's never alone. She's, there's never a private environment that she has control over. Mm-hmm. And even in the very first scene, it's the camera watching her from behind. When um, yeah, and when she's in the home doing her babysitting job. She's always being watched, whether looked at from above or seen from outside, peering out the windows. And it does bring up these ideas of women's body as public domain mm-hmm. where we don't necessarily have agency over our own being. We can be called out on the street or touched or gazed upon. And there's this societal expectation that women identifying bodies um, invite this and allow this. And the camera's gaze in the film seems to really make this very clear. There's a very strong strong sense of surveillance um, that is not being 
subverted at all. It's, it's really just... You don't think it's a comment on it at all? The fact that she's being watched by the viewers and also um, the son? Yeah. I mean... I know it's hard to tell, like, the motivations of the filmmaker. Yeah, I think not so much. A, I mean, I think it's commenting on it as much as many other horror films do. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I, I'd argue that, that it, it's just kind of falling into a pattern or, mm-hmm. or a, a technique used by films to um, bring about a sense of kind of disorientation or destabilizing or isolation isolation yeah and that yes we as a viewer are able to observe this female body in in a home situation and Mm -hmm. she's not she there's an idea that she perceives herself to be alone when she Mm -hmm. yeah like when she's kind of like dancing around Mm -hmm. the home Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah i mean i don't find that that gaze empowers her Mm -hmm. or or affects any of the decisions it's it falls into patterns that that films have of just yeah making things about that isolation and that Mm -hmm. creepy gaze rather than calm i mean rather than challenging it yeah a certain way Yeah. yeah yeah we were talking about this earlier actually like because she's alone for most of the movie you don't really see her interact with a lot of other people so it's almost Mm -hmm. you don't we don't really get to know samantha because she's never in her own space she's either um you know she's looking at the apartment she wants to rent she's in a dorm that she shares with somebody she's at school she's in a restaurant with her friend and then she's at this home that doesn't belong to her so she's Mm -hmm. never it seems like she never gets to be comfortable and be in her own space yeah there's always therefore it's like hard to yeah. To get to know her as a character. Yeah. When there is no space that is rightfully hers. Or that, mm-hmm. that you can tell that she feels comfortable. And even, yeah, riding, getting a ride out to this mm-hmm. babysitting. It's it's in her friend's car. Like, yeah, she's totally. never... Yeah, and I, and I think that that possibly does aid in that destabilizing. Mm-hmm. That she's... Yeah, there's something about her that's not quite grounded. Like, mm-hmm. she... Uh, her existence is so dependent on other factors in the film. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, you mostly just see her interact with this space rather than mm-hmm. other people. Well, the, yeah, like the amount of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like the most time you see her personality most when she's interacting with the home, mm-hmm. which mm. is interesting. Mm.
one moment where you do get to see Samantha interact with other humans mm-hmm. in a in a nice intimate way is mm-hmm. with her friend, played by Greta Gerwig, her mm-hmm. friend Megan. And they have a really positive friendship. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting to see the Bechdel test alive Ooh. and well <laughs> in a horror film. Because <laughs> yeah. their friendship is really, yeah, super supportive and intuitive. And, and yeah, it's a very sad moment when Megan dies. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess arguably a very good classic horror trope to have her die from pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just to go back to your comment about intuition. So it comes up quite a bit with uh, characters in this film. So it's first mentioned... Um, by the landlady, played by Dee Wallace. Uh, so she mentions following her gut and then allowing Samantha to move into the space. Um, and then Megan is a very intuitive and trusts her instincts and co- sort of questions everything, is asking the Ullmans all these questions before before leaving her friend there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Samantha suppresses her intuition and creepy feelings about the Ullmans um, and their haunted mansion. Um, you also see her, there's a scene where she's uh, crying in the dorm bathroom, but she turns on all the taps mm. and then cries for a second and then to tell herself to get a grip she's just constantly telling herself to sort of just suppress these emotions and um, not to trust her gut mm-hmm. um and i'm just wondering if that's like a symptom of the time where women are supposed to be nice and accommodating you know at risk of their own yeah safety and comfort and it's i mean a sign of something that arguably still happens oh yeah too. absolutely yeah, yeah women uh, to be nice all the time yeah and being asked to suppress emotions mm-hmm. lest they control you yeah. as we discussed in our Carrie <laughs> episode make you hysterical heaven forbid yeah. <laughs> well, I'll get things moving on your application and we'll have you set up here in no time um about the deposit um okay I'll tell you what It'll help you out, and I imagine it would. I'll agree to waive all the deposit stuff. You just give me the first month's down, we'll call it a day, all right? Really? That would be incredible. Well, I remember when my daughter was looking for her first apartment. It's hard coming up with all that money, isn't it? You just promised me that you were going to take good care of this place. <sighs> I promise. Besides, you'll be a good tenant. Always trust my gut. Well, you won't regret it, I swear. Oh, I- you know, I have some things I have to still take care of with the gal that lives here. You just get me the check by Monday. I'll have you in by the end of the week, if that's okay with you. I can do whatever. Oh, good. Thank you so much. You bet, sweetie. Bye-bye.
heard uh, in that little cliff. Um, money is a is a big issue for Samantha, and it's her motivation for staying at the Omen's house. And I just feel like it's very real and very understandable. She just need, she needs to pay rent, mm-hmm. and four hundred dollars is a big deal. Um, and I feel like this is such a universal stress and fear. And I've always I've definitely been in that situation. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, currently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they, they do a good job of making it very relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about the end, mm-hmm. I do find that the ritual in which she's impregnated with the Antichrist in, um, yeah, it's pretty rapey. And yeah. the, the film does uh, get a lot of comparisons with Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's one article that I read comparing comparing women in the time of rosemary's baby women like rosemary feeling trapped and isolated in the role of mother and the role of homemaker and um that film does end with rosemary's kind of acceptance of her role Mm -hmm. as mother of the antichrist Uh, whereas in house of the devil samantha executes a choice to rid herself of the pregnancy um although that choice would cost her her life so, and they both survive anyway at the mm-hmm. end of the film. Yeah. They're like, oh, yes, we will both survive, yeah. you and your satanic baby. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and with our, uh, this article comparing, it, it, it went so far as to compare abortion and suicide, which I don't really think is no. appropriate <laughs> or at all logical. But also, like, Rosemary wanted to have a child. She wanted to be a mother. Samantha does not yeah that's and the big difference yeah and they make it very clear at the beginning like samantha's not doesn't really even like kids like her and megan are yeah like it's never that. even yeah never even comes up mm-hmm. yeah. and i feel like at the point where she shoots herself in the head at the end like she doesn't even know what's happening she just no, she doesn't just she can feel something happening to her body she can hear mr omen talking to the moon mm-hmm. and like and then she's just no <laughs> yeah yeah totally um, I do wonder, too, if a lot of the comparisons with Rosemary's Baby, I mean, obviously there's, like, Antichrist occult things, mm-hmm. and then also in how it's shot, um, mm. y- there's definitely some, like, Polanski influence. Yeah. Which, uh, I'm going to see now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about him. That's for another day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our show this week. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Uh, you can listen to Bikini Drive-In every Sunday at 4.30 on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. If you have any questions or suggestions, um, you can email us at bikinidrivein at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. We w- yeah, we want to hear from you. But don't email D- I don't, don't want to talk about Roman Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia will be very <laughs> angry. Be really mad. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you.
You're listening to CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Our frequency celebrates diversity.